I would love uh, the Leviathan axe or the drop near spear from God of War, though. Mm. Not not. I don't think they ever made physical props for those. Like maybe they're in the model somewhere. (laughs) The like foam version they use when they're doing any sort of mocap for the character. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's just the pool noodle that Christopher Judge was holding when he was doing all those scenes. (laughs) Mounted on the wall like it's one of the like it's a replica of Sting with a little post-it note, (laughs) authentic. That says Leviathan axe. It's like really like no no no. Don't worry, we'll fix it in post. Yeah. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast. I am Blue, and I'm joined by Red. I'm going to get to the bottom of this glass of cold brew if it kills me. Uh, it, it might. Uh, with it that might. attitude, it very well might. <laughs> this is like the fourth day this week where I've like gone to bed late, as is my wont, and then woken up crisply at 8 a.m. Uh, so it's this or passing out at 6. <laughs> Uh, I fear for what your evenings are going to look like this week. <laughs> my evenings are going to be great. It's the mornings you got to worry about. <laughs> yeah, you know, fair enough. Because uh, then you get into those hours where it's like, it's late. And now I'm getting into like, I'm definitively like shaving off what would be sleep time. Because mm-hmm. like, I, I know I'm going to get up at eight because that's just like what God has chosen for me right now. <laughs> and if I keep going creation. into like the one o'clock, two o'clock, three o'clock, like now I'm shaving off oh. the sleep like distinctly. <laughs> Those are amateur numbers, my friend. Uh, I, I, the best day of the week I had recently, uh, I was up till five doing assorted scripty things because that was the night that I'd finished a video and I was like, oh, I think I'll, I'll save the, the soundtracking and the export until tomorrow. And then I was like, or... <laughs> And once you get that productivity ball rolling, the, the dopamine rush of completing a project oh, yeah. really can't be overstated. Uh, so then it was like, oh, well, I'll work on this script. I'll work on this other script. I'll work on this other script. A little bit of comic stuff. Ah, the sun is brightening the horizon. Perhaps <laughs> now I shall go to bed. But the trick is, if you push it far enough, it breaks the 8 a.m. wake up. Yeah. I slept until 11 that day, and it was great. So yeah. The worst feeling, not the worst feeling, but, like, the, the dangerous feeling is when I wake up and I see I've got, like, six or seven messages from you of, like, different things spaced <laughs> throughout the night. And then I will usually respond, like, oh, no, the worst thing is when you see it immediately. <laughs> it's got the same energy as when people have been watching the Breath of the Wild stream VODs, and I'll say, like, oh, yeah, I think I'll end it right on the hour, and there's, like... An hour and a half left of stream, and people are like, oh, yeah. buddy. <laughs> Check the timestamp, kiddo. We're yeah, whoopsies. Yeah, but uh, oh, uh, so what do we stay up all night doing? <laughs> Videos on the channel. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Boy, we're good God. at these. Uh, should we start with uh, the one that I had? Because now that we, we, we've modified our schedule, now chronologically, I am the earlier video in the yeah, calendar. Yeah, let's do it. All right, let's go back in time to the... Uh, well, I covered several centuries, but to the, like, early second millennium uh, <laughs> to Zimbabwe. Uh, I I really liked this video. I was originally planning on doing um, a video on the different, like, Mali, uh, Songhai empires in West Africa. Mm. And I thought, like, oh, because, like, the continuity will be really nice. It, like, it really smoothly, like, leads in from one to the other. And it's, like, a really cool. And then I thought about the the, the, the research time that would take. And I realized that I would not be able to do that right uh, before leaving for Iceland. No. Uh, and I, I needed to have this video done before I left for Iceland or else yeah. it, it would not be done. And then I would be sad and there would be no video that day. So I was like, let's be strategic. So yeah. I thought, like, okay, where can I go in detail on one, like, crisp 
moment in time, specific thing that I can just get my get my claws into. And I was like, great Zimbabwe, perfect. I've, I've mentioned it obliquely in a couple uh, of, of other videos. So this was like, all right, let's actually talk about this. Uh, yeah. So it felt like a nice bit of like setup and eventually payoff um, to be like, here is this, this one thing that is kind of considered to be a, a singular object, a singular moment in time, a singular society at its peak at this one distinct like, wow. But there's this whole, like, a thousand years of lead-up to get to that point with everything with the Bantu migrations. And then after the site of Great Zimbabwe itself was abandoned and the people moved to other places in the region, it's like, they formed other societies with what they had learned at Great Zimbabwe. So the continuity still goes. So it's not yeah. like, okay, and then they left, you know, uh, wow, mysterious, maybe it was aliens, goodbye. Um, <laughs> it's like, and then these civilizations kept doing the thing they were good at up until the 1800s when colonization really got got going fierce yeah um, so I, mean, I, I liked being able to to take what you know like on paper is this like this singular thing and just like stretch it out and really show like where did it come from what did it lead to afterwards paint a really nice picture i uh i was surprised by how much people um really enjoyed it not that i thought it was a bad video but like i I Come can't on, you have reason tell, like, to be braced for it. <laughs> yeah, we've, we've I mean, been it, here before. Yeah, um, not that I thought it was a bad video. I know I was I was happy with it when I when I wrote the script, but I I was pleasantly surprised by how many people were like, "Wow, this is like a really cool thing that I I didn't know about," or like. I'm from Zimbabwe and this kicks ass. Thank you, Blue. I'm like, oh shit, yo, yeah, that's, that's so cool. So um, there was a, a, a pleasantly small amount of people being real dickheads in the comments, which I, I was braced for a lot worse. Mm -hmm. uh, let me tell you, I was expecting that to go <laughs> a lot more poorly than it ultimately did. Yeah. Um, but I think you can really see an evolution in the way that we approach, you know, videos where someone might be tempted to come in with an axe to grind and how to head off some of those comments without detracting from the point of the video where like I, I made a point to be like, look, I can I can yell and holler about how much BS it is that, you know, the the accomplishments of the society were systematically like exoticized to nothingness. And it's like, oh, who who could possibly have built these these mysterious structures? And also we're going to steal all the shiny things and take them to our museums in Europe. And it's yeah, like I can get into that. But I won't because I want to stay on topic. Um, and I think keeping the focus was a good way to like put the put the attention in the right spot. So yeah, I'm, I'm I think that, that the uh, the approach of not highlighting the uh, terrible things that were done to a place and instead highlighting the the value of that place, um, I think it's a, it's a formula you you've used before. Uh, we <laughs> one of uh, my most quotable lines from recent podcasting, quote unquote recent, uh, was when you did the same thing with Hawaii. Uh, and I literally forgot about the looming specter of colonialism because I got yep. so immersed in, wow, this culture's yeah. cool, the, the development, the history, the rich internal conflicts, and then, ah, fuck, knock, knock, <laughs> guess who it is? Um, yeah. And with Great Zimbabwe, of course, it was already abandoned by the time the colonization started, so it was yeah. a little bit less like, and then it was pillaged and uh, scraped from the... It's more like we found it, and then we were like, oh, well... <laughs> Uh, since we, we can't find any black people here, there's no proof <laughs> that we have to give them credit for it. And honestly, yeah. even if they were here, we'd probably say they just found it because aliens put it there or some shit. Um, but I saw a I couple people in the comments <laughs> pointing out that, like, the way that you traced it through uh, links in with a way that Great Zimbabwe has been researched in the past, which is essentially what's the continuity of architectural design and city planning between the, the before cultures and the after cultures in this area. Because when you trace that stuff, it's like, 
Great Zimbabwe is a link in a chain that makes a lot of sense. You yeah. can trace the straight line through it. Trying to pretend like it's too advanced is, first of all, showing your whole ass in the racism <laughs> department. And second of all, like, that, Occam's razor people, genuinely the simpler solution is the people who lived here and already did stuff like that are the yeah. people who built it. But yeah. one thing that I really liked is that the uh, the approach that you took in the video was just very matter of fact about that. Like, yeah, this is what happened. It's silly to think otherwise anyway, because <laughs> that we, we sort of figured this out a while back that when you take a defensive stance when you're making a video topic, you're sort of doing half the work of somebody who might want to argue with you for them by yeah. automatically framing this like a matter of equal debate and stating your piece. And you're selecting for an audience that's ready to kick your ass. Yeah, you're, <laughs> you're selecting for an audience that wants to fight rather than an audience that wants to learn. Uh, but because we've been taking this approach for years at this point, the audience that we have curated, all you lovely people, are mostly people who are interested yeah. in learning. So when you were like, I just, I, I was expecting so much more. I was like, from these guys? No, man. <laughs> they, we made it clear a long time ago that the kind of people who would leave the comments you're worried about have nothing here for yeah. them. Like, th there's no there's no purchase for them. There's no nutrients for them in this environment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they have to do so much work to find something to fight about that it's prohibitively inefficient. Yeah. I've been watching some Tears Zoo, can you tell? <laughs> <laughs> everything's uh, uh, an ecological Yeah, everything's uh, biology when you squint. Yeah. Uh, I um there there were two flavors of of comments that that I do want to uh, address ever so briefly. One was people who were saying like, yeah, this is impressive, but like compared to you know name a civilization from further north, uh, it's like it's like if you put them against Rome, it's like well, let's think about what what that sentence means. Rome, <laughs> who took its architectural uh, inspiration from the Etruscans, from the Greeks, going back, from 2000s years of earlier Greeks, from the Egyptians, from the Mesopotamians, uh, and then, you know, Babylonians uh, later in the mm -hmm, chain as well, mm -hmm. uh, from, you know, the Phoenicians. From, like, this entire ecosystem of architecture was conspiring to eventually, like, not conspiring, but, like, right. eventually ended up with such a civilization, you know, 3,000 years down this chain of, of, of progress and sharing ideas was able to build crazy shit like the Pantheon. Okay, cool. <laughs> Great Zimbabwe was coming from a system that was continuous over a good handful of centuries, but the Bantu people only got there a few <laughs> centuries earlier. It's a speed run, baby. And invented this entire style of architecture by themselves. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they people were love moving with... the goalposts when yeah. somebody who they don't want to respect accomplishes something they have to respect. Yeah. Also, I just wanted to point out that the city of Uruk, the greatest city in the world in ancient Babylon, you know, Gilgamesh stuff, three and a half square miles. It says it right in the poem. It's three and a half square miles. I looked it up. Great Zimbabwe is about three square miles. So yeah. that's what they were operating on with no lead time. So um, the, the comparison game is is uh, intrinsically uh, loaded because mm -hmm. you're comparing societies that came from completely different, you know, backgrounds. Also, um, it's, there's no point in doing that comparison. It's, it's, no, it's literally apples and origins. <laughs> apples and origins, Wolverine. <laughs> I'm sorry. All right, let's... What was that I said about sleep? Anywho. Nah, you don't need it. Drink more cold brew. Yeah, um, yeah anyway. Uh, yeah. Um, overall, I was very pleased um, with, with the response. Uh, people being mm -hmm. very responsible, um, very enthusiastic in the comments, which is great to see. But Red, yes. 
Uh, talk to us about space. Space. Oh, <laughs> well, really, what is there to say? God, I had so much fucking fun with this video. Um, I Every time I set up one of these things, that's just an opportunity for me to talk more about space. I'm always like, they're going to call me out on this. They're going to notice that like nearly half the video has nothing to do with the myth and it's just about space. And then people are like, hey, can you do more space? And I'm like, more space? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, how much more could there really be? But oh, boy. <laughs> um yeah, I, I had a I had a ton of fun with this one. Uh, all that stuff at the beginning about like this is probably the first constellation you learn about. That was straight from you know personal experience. I grew up in a city. Ursa Major slash the Great Dip, the Big Dipper was like the thing that I could see. You make that yeah. out any time of year. Orion and Orion's Belt. There's like more bright stars visible in the winter in the northern hemisphere. It's just the the way they're distributed. There's more bright ones, so you know you you can make out more of them when it's cold, but also when you're a little kid in the city and it's cold, you're probably not out at night very much. So no. so the one star asterisk... And your parents you make you put a coat over your <laughs> Halloween costume when you go outside. It's just, it, it completely destroys the silhouette. <laughs> Nobody will know what I'm supposed to be. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Um, oh yeah, I can tell you're dressed as uh, Princess Peach from the like the skirt <laughs> underneath the coat. Just ah. a big, poofy, yeah, it's very yeah. silly. Anyway, so, you know, when, when you're coming at it from that perspective, it's like, what's the one thing that you can consistently see and why? And I, I was sort of wondering about that until I had the little moment of, it's, it's the one that doesn't set. Statistically speaking, any other constellation, you can really only see half the year. Ursa Major, you can see every night, unless you're real close to the equator. Mm -hmm. um, when, when we were in Iceland, uh, I at one point took a little 4 a.m. jaunt onto the roof to try and fail to see some, some northern lights. And what I did see was Ursa Major directly overhead. Oh. We were far <laughs> enough north that it had sort of, it, when it goes up on top of Polaris, it, it's, it's straight up north. I'd never seen it yeah. that high in the sky before. Um, <laughs> Red at 4 a.m. just like looks up at the bear. Ma'am. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Evening. Oh, God. I had so much fun. Because... Uh, when, when you're researching constellations, there's a lot of temptation to go a little conspiracy boardy. Uh, something about connecting no. the dots of the stars no. leading to the thumbtacks and string. <laughs> but no, because the thing is, it's tempting to be like every culture sees this as this. And the answer to that is no, no. Not every culture traces patterns between stars and says that's one thing. You know, there are some versions where it's like Ursa Major, the, the rectangle part of the asterism that might be one thing. But the three trailing things after it are hunters in pursuit. Um, even in the space of a single culture, some stars are individual beings and some stars are just part of a greater thing. So the Pleiades star cluster, that doesn't usually make a shape. It's like those are the seven sisters, you know? Each star is a person, but then they're right on the shoulder of Taurus, the bull. It's really and low it's like low-res sisters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the pixel resolutions all walk. Um, but then it's you got the you got Taurus, the bull of heaven, you know, referenced as early as the Epic of Gilgamesh, which has been coming up a lot in my tangents recently for some reason. And uh, each individual star in that doesn't mean a whole lot. It's like, oh, the red star is the eye. Everything else is all part of the, the thing. And I, I've seen people express, like, confusion and frustration about it a little bit because, of course, the running gag is like, you look at them and it's like, that doesn't look like what it's supposed to. Those are just, it's three stars in a little bent line and it's supposed to be a whole goat. Get out of here. Um, and I understand that. I think constellations make a lot more sense when you stop thinking about them on the timescale of a single night stargazing and start thinking about them on the context of the turn of the seasons and the, the yearly cycle and how important it is to know those things when you're, for instance, a pre-calendar civilization. You're maybe just starting to figure out agriculture. 
you want to make sure that you have enough food to survive the next year because agriculture is very difficult to make worthwhile if you're if you're basically going from hunter gatherer or like pastoralist uh you know uh herd following mm-hmm. uh civilizations agriculture is a huge risk you settle yeah. down in one place and then you have to grow all the food that you're going to eat for the next year i mean and think about it in yeah. terms of like so you want me to like sit down spend all this time not hunting and then if like the rain is bad i'm fucked no deal absolutely yeah. not <laughs> there are there are points in history where people have started to do agricultural stuff and then have been like no this isn't working and they just leave they just go back to doing the the sort of herd grazing thing um because it's a functional way that works but when you are settling down to do agriculture when you know when you're in ancient egypt and you're settling on the banks of the nile which floods on a regular rate that you can start to learn how to predict you start paying attention to what signals tie in with what weather you start noticing that the heliacal rising of sirius means something important is about to happen you know you you figure these things out and then it's like well how do you tell the stars apart ultimately speaking they all look the same they're little dots some of them are brighter a couple of them are red that's it you find the patterns you notice what arrangement they make and then it's like okay that one's that one which means over there is that one and that's the one that means this is happening and of course this 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 from a world building standpoint, it just makes sense that this leads into things like, oh, you divine the future and the stars, you know, you look for your fates in them, stuff like that. You tell stories about them because that way you can remember all that important information about what matters where. And it it's really cool. All of this it's is cool very cool. Yeah. <laughs> and And when you run into a constellation myth, there's a huge diversity of stories. You know, they don't all turn into bears. They don't all turn into one thing uh some cultures every individual star is a campfire and the the dead go up there and and warm themselves at them that's just how it goes um uh polynesian wayfinding techniques work with the the stars but not in smaller individual constellations you can look up charts for this stuff it's like every star in the northern hemisphere is connected in in this big pattern that that is used for navigation you know, not as simple as like, we're going to steer towards that one. It's, it's a much more complicated arrangement on a larger scale than, you know, Greece and, and yeah. Mesopotamia before it worked on because they weren't doing that kind of huge scale wayfinding Be- because the stars are are visible at different latitudes in different ways. So if you're traveling that far across the ocean, if you're crossing the equator, you need to be damn sure you know exactly where you are and you're going to have a lot more stars to work from. Yeah, you have, uh, at that point, with, with such a large distance traversed, you're dealing with, like, the topography of the night sky beyond any individual constellation or set of waypoints. Exactly, yeah. Because, you know, you sail far enough south, you stop being able to see the Great Bear consistently. So if that's the way you've been finding your way north, you're in trouble. <laughs> so you need to sort of have a better idea yeah. for it. Um, On the subject of the bear, though, the myth was pretty fun, too. Yeah, I also like the myth. Uh, I, I like the part where uh, I remember you were talking about, like, how do I convey that this character uh, is 10 years old? Uh, <laughs> and he wants to be a Minecraft YouTuber. Yeah, yeah, Minecraft. That, that'll be it. I, you can kind of tell that I, I was so hopped up on, like, space that when it came to the actual myth, I was like... Oh, okay. (laughs) This was also, this was a hard one to make funny, if I'm being completely honest. Callisto is notoriously one of the most tragic figures in Greek mythology. Uh, So giving her like kind of a boisterous, sporty attitude and then kind of, you know, playing up like, okay, she, she's, she's doing all right. She and her son have a good rapport, even though they're both bears now. It was like, let's, well, I'm not trying to paper over the horror of this situation. (laughs) 
But, you know, I, I'm trying not to be a huge downer in this otherwise very fun video about space. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But, yeah, yeah Minecraft I feel like a lot, of the, uh, a lot of the, like, <laughs> background radiating tragedy has been established by other myths in the same vein. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, this is one of the ones where it's like, hey, she turns into a cool-ass star cluster, so who's yeah. going to complain now? I think the most um, damning thing in the whole video is the Ovid version is not noticeably worse than the others. <laughs> yeah. There were a couple people in the comments pointing out, like, Ovid is sometimes nicer. You know, there's a few versions where, like, like apparently uh, the way Ovid told the abduction of Persephone, uh, specifically Hades is uh, arrow strikes him with the arrow of love. So Hades, like, has almost no choice in the matter. but to, And it's like, is that better? I don't know. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, you know, Ovid is not always categorical. Your Honor, in my defense, I was horny. <laughs> that doesn't hold up in court. Hades. <laughs> I saw people being like, please give me that Zeus expression on, like, a mug. And I'm like, you want that on a mug? You want to explain that to your mom at 7 a.m.? You want whoopsies? Sorry I put my dick there on your morning coffee? <laughs> But I'll do it if you want it. Like, just let me know. <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, yeah. Uh, on the subject of of the myth, as we're transitioning to the announcements portion of the podcast, uh, yes. we do have a pin, um, a very yes. fun new pin design that Red whipped up. Um, I, I don't want to steal the spotlight anymore <laughs> because you you are rightly very proud of this design that we've got uh, here. I had so much fun with this. Basically, we asked Crowdmade, like, hey, I know this is a long shot, but, like, I always love glow-in-the-dark things. Is there a possibility you guys could do glow-in-the-dark enamel? And they were like, yeah, sure, where do you want it? And we were like, what? Really? Uh, okay. <laughs> and, and I, like, really quick, like, drew up a uh, a design for the, the Ursa Major constellation. I, you know, looked up all the stars to make sure they were in the right place, because as God is my witness, I'm going to be accurate about this. Um, and uh, drew kind of a stained glass bear design around it. I love yeah. the stained glass. There was a merch design we had many years ago that was stained glass, and I'm like, mm. I wish the demand was there to make like everything in this style. And now that like these pins came out, and people are like, Oh, yeah. I would buy like all of them. <laughs> I, I would buy every constellation in this. Yeah, so I'm like, don't this tempt is great. Me. <laughs> also, it, are, this is like the same. Like, is it immoral to sell dice because that's too addictive? <laughs> yeah, we we had kind of the same debate of like, oh, I don't know, this might be too much. <laughs> is this too good? Uh, but yeah, so uh, I hope that I was like, I would love to make more of these, but you know, it kind of depends on how much people like them. And so far, people are like, yes, give, give, take, <laughs> take the my pins money. Pins are on sale for the next two weeks. Give us an excuse to make more. Yes, please, <laughs> please. Uh, the fun thing about the stained glass style, specifically for enamel pins, is that. Uh, the stylistic considerations are basically the same. You know, with stained glass, you need to completely enclose each piece of glass with the the metal. And with the enamel, it's exactly the same because enamel starts out as a liquid. It flows. So mm -hmm. all the previous god designs, you might notice, every individual area of color is completely enclosed. It has to be for the design. Um, so basically just extrapolating that into a stained glass pattern was just a slight, you know, pushing of the stylistic considerations I already had to operate on. Yeah. So it wasn't too complicated. Um the, I can tell the one thing that's going to drive me nuts, though. The one thing is that I cannot guarantee that all the pins are going to be in proportion with each other for how large the constellations should be relative to one another. Oh, no. Oh, that's no, going to no, no, drive no, 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 no. me no, up the wall. No. Nobody else is going to care. <laughs> I'm going to care. But they're on sale. Yeah. It's only 10 bucks. Uh, inflation sucks, but we're trying to do our best to keep these pins at the same price no matter what. Mm -hmm. So um, get them while they're available. 
Uh, and additionally, a uh, quick little bit of recommendations. Um, uh, <laughs> I've been watching a bunch of the new uh, slate of, of stuff that's on the Escapist channel. If any of you guys watch Zero Punctuation, um, mm-hmm. really good stuff. Red and I have been fans for so long. Longer uh, than the channels so existed, for sure. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. But there's among the slate of new shows is one called Cold Take oh, yes. uh, by a guy named Sebastian, where the whole delivery is like a noir detective monologue. <laughs> He's got a really soothing voice. It's a really fun style, and the points he makes are really interesting. The one that he put up uh, today at time of recording was playing games the right way, mm. which is essentially, you know, about how there is no right way to play games is the main through line. But there's also a very compelling, like, secret sub point. Uh, not secret, but like a subtle sub point about how when you are crafting an argument or having a conversation especially like with the video essay you can control for what you say but whether or not people hear you and what you mean is a little bit different so the, the point he makes is like i know that i can't always be like correct uh, but I can always do my best to be clear. And that was a really interesting angle that I, I liked a lot. Um, yeah. uh, I think that that spoke more to like us as video creators than um, <laughs> than any of the other ones that are more about games themselves. Um, yeah. But g- good stuff. Good, worth yeah. checking out. We put a link in the show notes. Broadly, um, cold tick is quite good, and so is extra punctuation, which is when Yahtzee, who does zero punctuation, yes. slows down and does like eight to ten minute videos about specific aspects of game design that yeah. he thinks are interesting. But also, I, I mean... I. Cold take, I, I, there's a special place in my heart for it just because I love the guy's delivery. I, I don't remember yeah. even which video I was watching, but he's kind of like, no, I hate to be the only guy wearing cleats in the bounce house, but somebody's <laughs> got to stay grounded around here. <laughs> and I'm just so like, funny. what? So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so that, right. that's that's the recommendation sorted. That's all of our announcements. So I think, without further ado, we should move over to the Q&A portion of the podcast. Let's do it. Yeah. Hello, and welcome to the Q&A portion of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast, where we answer your questions from Ask OS Pod on Discord. This first question comes from one of our lovely patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, support the channel, consider becoming a patron for a chance to have your question read first on a future episode. This question comes from Rina Kawai-chan. To Red, where did the name Overly Sarcastic Productions come from? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like a quick panicked whim, I want to say, uh, in the very early days of the channel when things were starting to get uh, bigger, like on the scale of uh, like more than 100 subscribers bigger. Um, somebody uh, in the comments, and I, I wish I could remember their username because in those early days there were like five or six regular commenters and I could like recognize mm-hmm. all of them, um, basically pointed out like, hey, you know, this channel's getting bigger. It might be good to, like, make a name that's, like, 100% yours because, like, the name that we had before was Red Eyes Take Warning, my favorite TV trope at the time. Uh, and so that that was also where the nickname Red came from because people would just shorten it to talk to me. And it was just like, oh, yeah, hey, what's up, Red? And I was like, yeah, okay, cool, this is great. Um, but it was a good point. So I was like, oh, fuck, yeah, that's, uh, okay, let's see. The whole thing is we do, like, snarky, like, summaries. So uh, I guess it's it's uh, it's a sarcastic production but like more than your regular sarcastic production i don't i I can like remember exactly where i was when i was figuring this out but i can't remember if there was any further logic behind yeah that's probably fucking fine uh (laughs) then i because you know google and youtube were like changing the ways that channels worked were structured there was like google plus integration that they tried and then had to sort of tease out recently as they were finally letting it die um but at the time it wasn't too complicated to just change it and uh leave it that way so i i did um 
Yeah. Very nice. nice. Yeah. Little channel lore. This next question comes from Gandalf the Gay. What is your favorite genre of fiction? Ooh, baby. <clears throat> uh, fantasy slash urban fantasy. Um, yeah. Just, yeah. Um, <laughs> I've gone on record with that. I like the the fantastical magic world building that you can do in fantasy. And I like when they integrate that into also familiar modern real world settings in like a secret world urban fantasy kind of way. So yeah. in my head, I lump them together. That's good. I really like, and of course, like basic bitch answer incoming, um, but I really like historical fiction specifically yeah. <laughs> with a very strong sense of place because mm. then the best part is you can not only like read the story and enjoy it for like the, the merits of the story or whatever people read books for, um, <laughs> but then you can go to the place and that's a cool thing. And you can <laughs> actually like be able to retrace that for yourself. And if you're going to a place that you haven't been to before, reading a story set in that place can kind of help guide your adventure through there and be like a fun little little, little thing for you to follow along with mm. instead of just like being dropped in a place and like, oh, I have to figure this out. Uh, it, it's a nice way to, to experience a location through a story. I find that fun. Yeah. I am alone in that, given the, the, <laughs> no, your, I mean, your faces right now. No, I mean, that, that actually, <laughs> oh. that ties in with my enjoyment of urban fantasy. Uh, yeah. The most fun I have with that is when it's an urban fantasy set in a city or place that I'm familiar with, because it's like, oh yeah, I would also have picked that specific weird thing to be like a gateway to a magical dimension yeah. or or like the secret place where all the wizards hang out. Like, half the fun of going to New York after listening through Dimension 20's The Unsleeping City is being like, hey, it's Orlando and Rovius, the gay lions in front of the public <laughs> library. Yeah, <laughs> um, and that's like, you know, one of the, the, the feelings of, you know, when you read an amazing, you know, fantasy series is like, oh man, like I, I, I wish that was real. Like, oh, if only I could like, go to Rivendell or whatever mm. with the right kind of like historical fiction you can you know be in the spot and then like imagine like yeah this stuff happened even if it's like <laughs> historical fiction it didn't actually you can be like I can pretend <laughs> I can imagine yeah. and for the same reasons I like mystery a lot because people around me are constantly dying under mysterious circumstances and I have to solve that no I, I like All right, I Jessica like solving Fletcher. a mystery <laughs> And we're next. <laughs> no, oh, I, I like mystery a lot. I, I want to give a special shout out. I like I go back and forth between mystery and science fiction in terms of my favorite genre of fiction, but also the two overlap a lot of the time. Like mm. you can often find mysteries set in sci-fi universes or like the Michael Crichton school of, well, something's gone wrong. Let's figure out what it is. Oh, like that's I, my favorite. I love that shit. So, that, so mystery is my go-to answer, but I'm just, Honorable mention to some science fiction. I also like when mysteries get stacked onto other genres. Yeah. Because urban fantasy noir detective is oh, truly yeah. the pinnacle of genre <laughs> fusions. Mystery is like the perfect genre um, to play a support character. It's like playing a bard in D&D, right? Like mystery mm. plays so well with anything else you want to stack it with that like you could throw it in, throw a mystery into a fantasy setting. It rocks. Throw a mystery into, yeah. uh, you know, urban, urban fantasy still rocks. Throw it into... Yeah. Um, nautical sea-based stuff also great it it's yeah. just a, it's a very flexible genre <laughs> there really. was a 
a series of short stories that Larry Niven wrote about uh, a private detective called Gil Hamilton in uh, nice. the, the space future. Uh, not just the space future, the like space future where ESP was real. Nice. Uh, Gil Hamilton's one weird thing is that he had at one point lost an arm in like an asteroid mining accident. Ooh. And while he was in recovery, his latent, extremely minor psychic powers had awakened in the form of a phantom limb, basically. So he kept trying to reach for things with the arm that wasn't there and it started working. And then he got a, like an arm transplant. So he has two arms now, but he also has his third psychic arm sneakily <laughs> and it's gotten him out of scrapes before. And I just remember being like, That's this is fun. so fucking cool. Yeah. Yeah. Larry Niven uh, is not a flawless writer, but I love the way he world builds. <laughs> and then like once you're in that situation, it's like, if I cut off my left arm, can I go for four? <laughs> <laughs> Raises so many uh, questions and leaves so many unanswered, like the mystery genre. Well, that's not true. Mysteries very often answer most, if not all, the questions. That a mystery asking. that doesn't answer its questions is generally regarded as bad. <laughs> so it's creating more mystery. Uh, but speaking of more, we have more questions to get to. This one coming from Punk Rock Valkyrie to Blue I'm pursuing a bachelor's in anthropology with a minor in classics. The texts I'm having to read are super dense. Do you have any advice for getting through tough to read articles? Tough to read articles. Okay, so I'm getting a sense that um, since it's uh, anthropology with a focus uh, in in classics, as opposed to like classics with yada yada yada, um, a lot more secondary source works rather than like when I was in my classics department, I was reading like Plato and Thucydides, and like I was reading the old shit. I wasn't reading a bunch of like new scholarship on notoriously such such. breezy reads. <laughs> well, in a way. Yes, <laughs> compared to <laughs> academic scholarship, because there's a there's a whole thing of like, do people deliberately write academic scholarship like to be hard to understand, to create an in-group and an out-group? Uh, and there's a whole like classism arguments to be had there. But as far as like actionable advice, uh, which I was being asked for, um, unfortunately... I do not have very many tips or tricks beyond get yourself acquainted with what you're doing in broad strokes as best as you can before diving in. Because, you know, what do we do with our videos is we give an overview, a, a map of a topic that you can look back to whenever you're going deeper into any individual piece of the story. Mm -hmm. So you know where it fits and you know where it connects. I don't know how to explain strategies for reading through an academic paper but the more you can give yourself as background to ground everything that you're seeing and help find a spot for it in your like mental web of knowledge of a topic um will probably help but that's not gonna yeah. solve it on its own i used to have to read a lot um in college read many a dense article for um my chinese degree whether it was for kind of like the film study side of it or for actual historical stuff and the trick that helped me that's more of the like tips and tricks side because what blue was saying is absolutely right you want that grounding to make sense of what you're reading uh i used to just liberally highlight an entire article like i printed it out i'm sorry it's a waste of paper but i printed everything out and then i would liberally highlight just to force my eyes to be staring at the words and i found that that yeah. helped just force yourself through an article um obviously for the understanding side Blue's got the right idea, but if you're just yeah. trying to look at some words and read them, sometimes you just got to give yourself like a physical marker to pull on through. Physical Don't be afraid to skim different. over the parts that are confusing you. And mm -hmm. if you need to come back, you need to come back, but like just try to get through it. Yeah. <laughs> I would recommend um, 
this is like really, really granular stuff, but like, especially if it's a dense academic paper, if you hit a word you don't understand, look it up immediately. Like, because this is something I kept running into because I, I had a tendency to sort of like read above my reading level since like pretty much day one, which means most of it makes sense. And then like you hit the words that you don't know. And if you're not really paying attention, you can easily skim over them. And then there's like a little hole there that you don't necessarily notice. So if you hit a word and you don't know for absolutely certain what it means, underline it, look it up, Write the definition in a little margin so that when you're going back through it, you're like, oh, yes, that's that thing. Um, yeah. And when you're taking notes, what you might want to do is like <clears throat> like get through a page or two or like a, a specific paragraph and then, then go to your notebook and like write down from memory like the general gist of like this, this, this. Here's the main point. Here's this other thing. Little note on the side. Because that forces your brain to digest it and then turn it into notes rather than just reading a sentence and then writing down like the bullet points of that sentence and then the next sentence, bullet points of that sentence. Because yeah. that just that just sort of turns your brain into a little pass-through valve where it's like you're never processing it. You're just transferring some words from one side of the page yeah. to the other. So so reading a chunk, letting it sit, or even like like the rubber duck solution, like explain it to somebody else uh, or or just pretend like you are. And you'll you'll find that you're, you're sort of... Helping make sense of it in your head. Mm -hmm. um, I realize that two thirds of us are like, "What is an attention span? <laughs> Executive function? Who? I've never met her." Yes. Uh, but like, th these are the strats that that I think we had to sort of mm -hmm. develop to. Executive to function. Bad. She keeps talking to me, but I never actually listen. <laughs> <laughs> I keep wanting to text her back. I just, you know. <laughs> yeah. It's one of those things where you like, the more you do it, you're going to eventually find strategies that work. But like a lot of things in academia, sometimes you just kind of have to throw shit at the wall and see what sticks until you figure yeah. that out. Um, yeah. So try a while. Or sometimes you have to write a song about how all the characters that they're making you read about this quarter are stupid and boring. Uh, <laughs> for for 5,000 yeah. subscribers, yeah. I can also recommend that. I've never but, been more uh, bored than just, in that fucking class. Yeah, general... Uh, sympathy for reading scholarship mm. is that most people who write scholarship are not good writers. Yes. At yes. all. In fact, part of the reason why they do that <laughs> is because it is the only field where you can get away with not conveying information very clearly, but simply producing a laundry list of facts <laughs> well the thing is you're not wrong but i feel like there's a bit of a dichotomy here because on the one hand yes you can get pretty far in academia without ever having to make something that a human being can read but you can do the same thing in computer programming for very similar reasons they are both attempting yeah. to make points that cannot be misconstrued the the there's been a few jokes about this in the current discourse about like AI work where it's like, you know what I call a set of instructions so precise that they cannot possibly be done wrong by a computer? I call it code. That's what code is for. Code is famously not readable. Even if you know how to program, it's very easy for your eyes to glaze over reading through somebody else's code, which is why it's good praxis to leave comments in your code if anyone else is supposed to be able to read it. Um, academic papers are very similar. They're trying to make a set of clear, concise points that cannot be misconstrued with the evidence that and, and the, the variables that they're operating on clearly defined. You don't need to be a good prose writer to get that information across. And, and you know, I think it would be a little bit unreasonable to ask for that these that these academics and researchers also be excellent writers. But this is similarly very difficult to read. And there's a reason why people who navigate academia for a living become very good at parsing these things quickly it's a learned skill it's not mm, the yeah. same as reading a book 
also consider that for the most part, the audience that these articles are written for are not college students. It yeah. is professionals in their field who have been reading these articles for 20 or 30 years. Yeah, it's other <laughs> academics. It's it's not you. They're not meant to be accessible. And it's also difficult for academics to write things accessibly because once you're deep enough in a field, you lose sight of what is and isn't easy base level knowledge for your expected audience. You know, you don't know what glossary terms you need to define. You don't know what, what things need to... <laughs> this is a thing that all professors suffer from, which is why teaching is also its own skill and why a lot of academics hate having to teach because yeah. they're not actually good at it. Yeah. In this answer, I don't mean to completely disparage anyone who's ever written an academic paper. And if that's what it sounded like I did, I am sorry, because that is kind of what I did. Yeah, um, but uh, all that to say, uh, it is valid to have difficulties with that field because mm -hmm. it is possibly one of the most difficult parts of engaging with high-level scholarship reading learning creating on mm -hmm. your own end is just reading other people's scholarship mm -hmm. it is finicky so good <laughs> yeah. luck you're not doing anything wrong this is already hard yeah <laughs> and now for something completely different this question comes from mistake to all what original prop from a movie or tv show would you want to own for me it is the pre-vfx jar jar bank suit so any prop <laughs> from a movie With tv the sunglasses? show sunglasses heck yeah <laughs> oh that's good <laughs> That's so niche, and I adore it. Uh, <laughs> that reminds me of, um, they had to make a bunch of different lightsaber props mm -hmm. for all of the different mm -hmm. characters um, with different modes for it's like, here is the blade with the stick coming out of it. Here is a full, like, metal prop for, like, close-ups and stuff. Here is as, like, close to looking like the real thing of a prop as can be, except this is made out of rubber. And, yeah. like, the thought of, like, a lightsaber that looks like a lightsaber, and then you pick it up and it has a squish to it, like, that's so wrong. <laughs> <laughs> You've seen that gif of with, with Ray with the lightsaber, and it comes out all floppy. <laughs> She's, oh, like, <no>. just... <laughs> that's what I'm imagining. I know that can't possibly be what yeah. you're describing. But. I'd love the Kylo Ren, because when they were making gifts of, like, all the different, like, Swiss Army lightsaber blades that come out of his dumbass crossguard lightsaber, I want, like, the actual VFX, like like the actual light stick prop they put the vfx on of like the fucking like lightsaber keyblade and like the scissors on the end like i want that <laughs> um i want the uh the orrery from the dark crystal mm. uh, where uh it's been ages since i watched that movie but i mean come on if you're gonna get a movie prop you go to the masters you get something that creature shop had a hand in oh yeah yeah um Last year, there was an auction from the Wachowskis storage that included a lot of props from Jupiter Ascending and Speed Racer. <laughs> and I would just like to say to everyone who tagged me in the listing for the dog ears that Channing Tatum wore in the <laughs> Jupiter Ascending film that went for, I assume, thousands of dollars. I appreciate the enthusiasm, but that is not the prop I'm going to be going with. Uh, you but, obviously want the rocket boots, you know. Obviously. <laughs> the, I, yeah, genuinely, the there was legs. the only thing I considered um, bidding on, because for a while there, no one had bid on it yet, was there is a segue from the Royalton industry scene in Speed Racer. And I'm like, there's absolutely no reason in my life that I'm ever going to need this. But it would be incredibly funny to be able to be like, look what's in the garage. It's no cars and just one purple segue <laughs> from the movie Speed Racer. <laughs> Custom. <laughs> um, no. That's good. I mean, any... The real answer is like any sword from Lord of the Rings. 
I want to put yeah, that obviously. shit on my wall, obviously, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, but, and like, niche stuff, for, uh, yeah. uh, some of the baby bottle pops they used for product placement in Speed Racer would be super funny. I imagine that they're terrible <laughs> by now, but just, like, on the shelf. <laughs> Endless respect for Adam Savage, because he has, like, a warehouse of, like, movie props oh, yeah. that he's bought, but he also has duplicates he's made of the movie props so that he can take them out and play with them. <laughs> so Because yeah. what was it that, like, he had a, a special sword that he was like okay kids like please don't play with this i made a copy for you and one day he went to the sword and there was a little ding in it and he's like they had fun that's okay <laughs> i don't remember what the actual thing was i just remember seeing that clip yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. oh man oh man what fun diversity of answers we had there <laughs> i would love uh the leviathan axe or the drop near spear from god of war though mm. not not I don't think they movie, ever made physical props for those. No, like they maybe they're in the model somewhere. But, but yeah. <laughs> the like foam version they use when they're doing any sort of mocap for the character. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's just the pool noodle that Christopher Judge was holding when he was doing all those scenes. <laughs> <laughs> Mounted on the wall like it's one of the like it's a replica yeah. sting. <laughs> With a little post-it note. <laughs> Authentic. <laughs> that says Leviathan Axe. It's like really? Like no no no. Don't worry, we'll fix it in post. Yeah. yeah. Oh man. Uh, this next question comes from Leaf. Too red and also blue if you have any ideas. I noticed the effort you put into drawing historically accurate clothing on characters in your more history-skewed videos. As a fellow artist who likes drawing historical subjects, I'm curious, what sources do you use to find references? Thanks, and Happy New Year. This question was submitted oh, around man. New Year's. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> oh, we're only like two months late. It's fine. Oh, boy. This one's a toughie because uh, it really depends. Um, obviously, like medieval England, that stuff's pretty easy there's all kinds of things uh you can get for that mm-hmm. um <clears throat> uh there's a lot of times when it's like norse stuff i'll go back to like the 1800s like engravings and etchings and stuff that that they do to illustrate them they're not the most accurate things in the world but they they look recognizable they're okay there's a degree of stylization in what i do anyway so you know it, it's it's generally okay if it's not like exactly picture perfect uh and if as long as there's like precedent for the thing i'm doing i tend to be all right with it um egypt there's tons and tons of primary sources of like the clothing and stuff like that so i just try and evoke that as much as possible usually with a little bit less exposed titty but that's just my personal preference and also youtube um (laughs) it gets more difficult when you get farther afield from there uh there are some places i've i've had luck just because somebody else has managed to do the work. I remember when I was doing uh, the Epic of Window, I really, really wanted to get that stuff right. And I believe what I found is that there had been like a like a small-scale stage production of mm. some of it. And there were shots of a lot of the group costumes. And I was just like, all right. just get, and, and again, like the, the way I do clothing design, I cannot sew. Despite the best efforts of my mother, <laughs> I can't sew. I don't understand clothes or fashion. I wear the same tank top and pants combo in every fabric I own. So when I design clothes, it is very much from the standpoint of like those who can't do teach. Uh, so when I'm looking at the cultural general space of clothing, I tend to start looking for large scale patterns. Like, okay, these guys do open robes, closed, you know, right over left, tied with a sash, sometimes pants. And sometimes the robe is longer or shorter, and sometimes there's another robe on top of it that's open, and the pants are negotiable, but that's basically the shape of it. And then in this one, it's like, okay, it's a single sheet, and it's tied around them like this. And sometimes it's tied around them like this, but some, it's always a single sheet. Sometimes it's belted. Sometimes there's a second sheet, you know. 
when you kind of get a feel for that, you can be a little bit creative with it. So everyone's not wearing the exact same outfit and everybody's not wearing something that you lifted straight from like one of those old <laughs> color in fashion plate <laughs> medieval things that that might not be universal experience. That might be my mom again. Uh, but like, you know what I mean? So so you don't have to be photorealistic every time if you get a general feel for like, what's the rough topology of clothing in this culture? And how does it split across like gender and class lines and stuff like that? Um, but when I really want to be accurate, sometimes I'll look up, like, can I look up, like, if, if it's like a, a Japanese historical figure, it's like, okay, I'll just look up this guy, <laughs> find the nearest painting of him, roughly approximate that. Um, when I was doing, what was it? I think it was a uh, Kusaragi no Tsurugi, the grass cutter video. Um, <laughs> the source I went to for that was, uh, was not a primary source. It wasn't even a secondary source. There's this comic I've talked about called Usagi Yojimbo. <laughs> That's really, really fucking good. And the guy who does it, Stan Sakai, <laughs> I believe, um, really knows his stuff when it mm. comes to uh, Japanese history and uh, sword design, clothing design, stuff like that. There will be whole issues that are just like, this is an incredibly in-depth exploration of the process by which a sword is forged or something wow. like that. Mm, and he cool. did a version of the story of Grasscutter front to back. And I literally went and found it because I had noticed that the clothing was different than the way he drew his his sort of um, uh, like Meiji Restoration era characters. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I can I can draw on this. This works great. <laughs> um, so there's no one answer exactly. I try and go as far back to the primary source as I can. But sometimes I'll just be like, this person did it well. So I'm just going to borrow from them. Uh, and also I... I I tend to take liberties, but usually with, as mentioned, you know, I try and figure out the, the topology of the clothing. Like, do they do belts? No belts? What's the yeah. pants situation? And even like modern, you know, like folk clothing can be a guide. It's, you know, it's modern because it's just like, what do people in these parts of the world wear today? So that's not like, yeah, that's not where one should start. But like it, it is... If everything else fails, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's I'd an say option. The hard part is uh, dealing with cultures that have been turned into tourist attractions. Um, yeah. When I did the uh, the Pele video, I I actually leaned on a, a friend of ours uh, from Hawaii who had experience with like traditional like hula outfits, uh, and she sent me some some sources that I could use that was better than because if you Google like Hawaii girl clothes you get a lot of not safe for work stuff but also oh, no. nothing accurate is the yeah. problem uh so it, it was just it it was just really confusing but um yeah uh i it's always a bit of a gamble because this is not an area of expertise for me and there's it's always possible that i'll i'll be a little creative and accidentally stumble into something that's that's really bad um the, I'd say the most obvious example that I think I've managed to avoid for the most part is that in Japan, uh, when you fold a kimono over one way, uh, that's fine. But folding it the other way uh, is only for the dead. So <laughs> um, uh -huh. so if you draw it mirrored, it's like, whoopsies, that person's <laughs> not alive. Uh, yeah, it's um, it's tough. And and honestly, it's fun because when I'm doing a myth or a, an area that I haven't explored before, it's it's a lot of like new exploration when i was doing the sun maiden and crescent moon uh i like looked up what i could find about the ket people and found like two or three like silver nitrate photo plates from the first time that like people like went and bothered them and i was like okay the guys are all wearing this and the girls are wearing variants on this and the, there's a lot of twin braids so i can probably do twin braids and, and like that sort of thing yeah, uh cool. and also it was like 
there, it can be tough when you're looking at a photo and trying to figure out how the clothing fits together. It's like, are those boots or are those like cuffed pants uh, mm. over slippers? And, and I don't know, is, is that a jacket over something or is the fur part of the jacket? And it's just so, you know, it's I'm glad it's worked as well as it has been because, boy, it sounds shambolic when I spell it out. It's a process. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry, Kat, you need to. Are you good? Are you going to say anything, or is this again just making an appearance? Attention. She's okay. attention. The intrusion. <laughs> yes. Uh, but we've got time, I think, for one last question here on the podcast. This one comes from I Guess I'm Chris. To all, if you were a Smash Bros. unit, what would your taunts be? <laughs> oh, that's good. Right, what Chris, are your taunts? What is your real name? <laughs> <laughs> you guess, huh? Oh, that doesn't man. sound. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm very fond of Ike's down taunt, where he slams the sword to the ground, crosses his arms, and a dramatic wind billows out his cape a little bit. <laughs> yeah. That's it just, is good. That's top tier stuff. That's big Ike yeah. energy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Taunts are really where a man's true nature shines. Mm-hmm. I, I'm i not familiar with, with many of the taunts in Too Smash much of Bros. Too a paragon, I see. Yeah, no, but what I, what I do consider a taunt is if, as I think Link and Pit both have a variant of this move where if you just like s- like smash the a button he'll just stand in place and stab a bunch and not move forward at all just stab a whole lot i consider that a taunt <laughs> <laughs> i want to break dance i, I want to be like a ninja turtle ro- rolling around on the shell <laughs> i did just watch all three of, the, of the 90s tmnt movies that might be influencing yeah, us a yeah, bit yeah. but still it'd be fun <laughs> I think a lot of the characters will, um, if you hold A, they'll just repeatedly do the start of their combo. So Ike will just punch nonstop, which is pretty <laughs> funny. But with with Pit and Link, it's more annoying because their range is better, uh, and they they stun lock you a little bit if you walk into yeah. it. Uh, so <laughs> fond memories, <laughs> you monster. <laughs> I'm just staring off, thinking happily about all the times I've knocked people into the stratosphere holding A (laughs) like a dummy. (laughs) I mean, one of us has to dab, right? Like, there's a lot of, uh, there's like four taunt directions, so we we can fill a lot of slots this way. Um, (laughs) Up left dab, up right dab, down left dab, down right dab. When you do the squat dab. Um, I think in one taunt, I'd like to hold Ziggy up, like in The Lion King. <laughs> Simba, just present. I love that. She's just a little like wiggle when you. <laughs> I don't. I feel like I haven't done this in a while, but like, I think I saw this at like an ad for Night at the Museum, and it just like indelibly stuck itself in my head with like the bronze statue going like, firepower. So I've definitely done that at least once. Referenced in a while. It's a classic. It's got the little gay cowboy and the little gay Roman. And, you know, everybody loves that. <laughs> yes. Oh, sheesh. Um, good taunts. Other good taunts. I got nothing. <laughs> I guess it depends. Like, uh, you know, we're fighting as ourselves in this instance. So is there anything that you do or utilize that you think could be used to taunt another player in a Smash Bros. style <laughs> situation? I have to do a lot of work to remove the hair from, like, the front of my torso when I'm trying to do stuff. A big hair flip? And That'd be a good I know time. at least... Well, yeah, but the thing, I know at least one person in high school who apparently took it really personally that I kept doing this. Never leveled a grievance at me, but complained about it constantly. So, I guess that counts. 
I have no idea who this is, and now I'm desperate to know. <laughs> oh, it's it's one of the short list of you know. Yeah, we can get into this well, later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I do like the idea of like a big dramatic hair flip being a taunt. Like that seems like you can imagine it flowing behind. Someone gets too close, they take like one point. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> you just get. I've had that happen in high winds before, so <laughs> yeah. there's an area of effect. Red, one time you had a long coat and we were walking through a narrow street and it was so windy that the tail of your coat hit me in the face. Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> I uh, Now that I have a long winter coat, I can extend this to all, all seasons. <laughs> um, uh, there's really nothing quite like a, a coat that goes past the knees just billowing behind Do you, you love when you my walk. Trench it's, coat. it's a top tier look. Everybody loves a good trench coat. Cyberpunk was on they, like, something. like Columbo look cool. It's yeah. always, uh, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. I think we've kind of exhausted our our, our possibilities. Probably. Well, if we're reaching yeah. the end of the taunt list, Red, do you think that perhaps you could take us out of this podcast then? Mm, I suppose I could deign to do such a thing. Uh, <laughs> thank you all so much for listening. As always, we'll be back in two weeks with another episode of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast. Um, and we'll be back on Fridays with our regular videos, which are always fun. I'm sorry, Ziggy's uh, in peak, not a thought in that brain mode, it looks like. <laughs> yep, there is not a thought behind these eyes. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> She's very cute, but in a in a in a probably shouldn't be left unsupervised with sharp objects kind of way. Uh, yes. Oh, yes. Uh, yes. Check out pins. They're on our crowdmate shop. They're always fun and super cool. Um, <laughs> sorry, she's so cute. Uh, also, check out the movie struck that just came out yeah. at time of release. Uh, yeah, Red was on, on the, the subject struck. of cats. There was a movie struck, yeah. So definitely check that out. It's good and, and more cute. Uh, I think that's about us covered. So until next time, I've been Red. I've been Blue. And this is a dab, which is my taunt. You're, you can't see it. You're going to have to imagine it. Ha! <laughs> All right. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast. We'll be back on March 15th with another thrilling installment. But if you miss us before then, be sure to check out Overly Sarcastic Productions on YouTube. Got a question for the pod? Head over to Ask OS Pod on Discord for a chance for your question to be featured in a future episode. If you enjoyed the show, please rate us and leave a review on your preferred podcast platform. And if you really enjoyed the show, consider becoming a patron. Links to all this and more can be found in the show notes below.